Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Autosport Podcast. F1's launch season is in full swing and we've got two launches today. Both these teams arguably still in a rebuilding phase. We're going to kick it off with Williams, the historic Williams team, having risen from 10th in 2022 to 7th in 2023. Can this team continue to climb up the grid? Well, for this part, I'm joined by Hayden Cobb and Philip Clearan. And then we're going to come back across the pond and check in with stake F1 team Kick Sauber. Great to have you both here. Hayden, whereabouts are you? Talk us through your surroundings. I'm currently working from home uh, just outside Woking, so I can probably hear the McLaren factory right now. But uh, yeah, so not not far away. Lovely stuff. And what about yourself, Philip? It looks like you're in a slightly different surroundings as opposed to Hayden, which is home for him. Well, I'm also home, not in Hayden's home, but in my own home office <laughs> uh, in Barcelona, actually. So also close to... F1 or an F1 circuit, at least for the time being. Okay, well, look, let's go to this livery then, the FW46. This is not a, a dramatically different livery from the team. Similar in the way to Haas, not a huge amount of changes there. And we have seen this livery with the FW45. So let's start with you, Hayden. What are your thoughts, hit or a miss? I'm, I'm okay with it. I was hoping for a bit more white in terms of their return to when they've run, run the white liveries before. Obviously, that looks great when it was Martini sponsorship in particular. And they were sort of teasing it earlier before their reveal uh, with the race suits being predominantly white. And I thought, oh, that may be nice. But uh, as it is, they've, they've stuck with largely what they had last year. Obviously, it puts a few new interesting sponsors on too. So I'm okay with it, but I was hoping for more. All right. Philip, are you as um, less critical as I thought Haven was going to be? <laughs> it's all right, actually. It's, it's, it's a decent livery. I know people love seeing you know massive changes year on year and see something fresh and this is very similar obviously um it's not bad i think the the white and red pinstripe really has a nice little detail and other than that like many teams they really want to keep a lot of surface black so they can keep it matte carbon save some weight that's sort of inevitable with these rules i'm afraid we don't really get to see any technical insight other than the way the car looks though so it's going to be a waiting game for us all to find out now uh 
Phil, you've been to the the media sessions today with team principal, with with James Valls, and also with the the drivers Alex Albon and Logan Sargent. Now, um, as with all the teams this year, it's a static driver lineup exactly as it was last time but let's start with Vols himself then um join the team last year we shouldn't really forget that it certainly made his mark on the team as well he's a bit fairly critical as well about the team's performance i think over the, the last um period of time he's been there but at the launch um he spoke a lot about how william's goal isn't just looking at today or tomorrow but looking you know further down the line and into the future it's long-term team strategy and this is what james Vols said to you a little bit earlier on at the team launch 2023 was our best season since 2017 and I had the fortune to be here as a part of the organisation once we're on that journey together. And it sets the foundation, just the foundation for what we want to do going forward. What it shows the world is that we're not a team that's last anymore, we're a team that's on the journey back to the front. And we made a large step when we put that update on last year. That journey continues now. And what we need to demonstrate to the world is we're a serious contender that it's not one moment that we've moved forward but we're on the right path back to the front of the grid. Well, Phil, you've spoken uh, to the team uh, about this idea of looking forward, which is I think, refreshing to see Williams doing just that. How is Vols looking to strengthen the team this year um, and also further into the future as well? Well, I think just coming from Mercedes to Williams, there's such a, a big chasm between the two teams that obviously he's going to try and, and replicate some of the things I made Mercedes so successful. So it's clear that he's been very realistic about what it will take to get back to the front. It will take years. There's such a deficit in terms of infrastructure and staffing. And this is just another year where he'll be, he'll try and put in new people, new new bits and bobs in place to try and, and bridge that gap to the top teams, which won't be easy. But he's got Pat Fry involved, who worked with, with McLaren for a long time. Then with Ferrari, so he knows what a winning team looks like, and it's sort of not not only infrastructure but also just the mindset of you know personnel. What what is the right attitude towards this? It's not about surviving anymore. It's about making progress. It's trying to, as Pat Fry and James Fowles both said, it's about thinking like a winning team, even if you're not there yet. So this is another transitional year, I think, where maybe we won't see too many headline results, but. There has to be this tangible step forward, both on and off the track. What is a, a tangible step forward, though? What do you think he's seeing as a tangible step forward? Well, if you look at Williams last year, its main weakness is that it's got a very peaky car that's only really competitive at a handful of circuits. It's very low speed, um, very aerodynamically efficient. So that meant it was really strong at tracks like Monza, uh, Canada, you know, lots of straights. But it wasn't good in in braking per se or low speed corners. It wasn't good in very high speed, like long uh, long high speed corners. Very sensitive to wind and to different temperatures. So I think the first step now is to okay, how can we try and preserve some of those strengths, but not be so peaky? Let's uh, have a car that's more all around. Because if you look at where it finished, Williams finished seventh with twenty eight points. But if you want to make a step to sixth, well, Alpine finished uh, sixth with 120 points. So it's still a massive gap if you want to move up. And the only way you can do that is to have an all-around car that's capable of fighting for points every single weekend. And I think that's what Williams' next challenge is, just make an all-around car that can compete everywhere. Which is lovely. 
in theory, but it's not quite as simple as that. I mean, you've got to make inroads. Hayden, what are your thoughts? Very much the same. Yeah, it's, it's every every weekend picking up those points. They did. I think Williams deserve great credit for what they did last year in terms of that lower midfield battle, effectively coming out on top. Because, like you say, yeah, if there was say, I think six uh, tracks where they felt confident of of fighting for points, I think they scored pretty much at five out of six, if not all six of them. And really maximised their opportunities as well. It took the most out of that opportunity, uh, particularly with Albon, even even Sargent picking up a point with disqualifications in Austin. But the problem they've also got, which I'm sure we'll come on to a little bit later, is to make that close that gap, they need both drivers scoring consistently points. And and that's not what they had last year with Sargent. So, yeah, not only an all-round car, but an all-round driver duo as well to pick up points together. So how do they do this, Philip? Because as Hayden just says, you need both drivers you know, um, both adding points into the pot there. Alex has done it, proven that he can do it at this level. And in Formula One, uh, Logan needs to maybe up his game. Is it just a simple case of putting their arm around him and giving them the confidence or, or what What can they do? Well, I think that's what they have done through last year. And that's, you know, giving him a new contract is the perfect sign of, of having that confidence in him and having that, that support behind him. Um, yeah, I think that's just... It's just a really big year for for Sergeant because speaking to him earlier, he's now had the time to reflect on what his year was like, and he said like, "Okay, my preparation wasn't right. I wasn't really physically where I should have been." And then with such a relentless twenty two race calendar, twenty four race now, there's just no time to catch up because you're constantly recovering and living race to race. So I think having that off season now to just focus on getting it right. He said he's well. He's he's changed his trainer. He's changed his training. Um, he's gained five kilos, which uh, I'm assuming is muscle mass. Um, so he's really done a lot of work to try and build himself back up. And uh, we asked James Fowles about this as well, and he said, like, "Well, he looks way more confident now, having been through that experience." And the reason why he's still there is because, okay, he's made a lot of mistakes, and he was very inconsistent. But in the data they saw, he, he had pace there were flashes of pace it just made mistakes at the crucial time so it didn't um it didn't translate into results so they believe that he cannot put it together and now it's up to him to deliver because uh we've seen teams sack young drivers for way less so it's it's all up to him now we'll come properly to logan Sargent in a bit and hear his thoughts as well but hayden when we look at their driver lineup alex albon his driver you know he's He's been around for a while now and he's had his ups and downs. He's been through some pre-tumultuous periods of his career in Formula 1. What can he do, do you think, to help Logan along this journey? Um, I, I think first and foremost, be be the benchmark. Continue to perform like he did last year. As you say, if, if Logan ever needs sort of to look through a comeback career in terms of a Formula 1 stance, Alex Albon's got uh, yeah plenty to, to tell him over that. Um, but yes, be, be the benchmark. Keep leading this Williams team in terms of development direction and in terms of sort of pure results as well um but yeah alex Albon's also probably been a driver that you would you would say particularly in those red bull days of where things were getting particularly difficult having that um crisis of confidence and i think sergeant probably would internally at least be having been felt that sort of at various points last year particularly with those key moments um sort of crashes coming out and so yeah it's it's learning from those mistakes. It's finding that consistency, and and Albon is sort of the perfect person to look from that. But I know that they sort of have a sort of varying, differing um, driving styles as well, which can obviously be difficult to translate instantly. But 
just just learning through the data, looking through what where Albon is strong and trying to sort of replicate that and bringing his level closer to Albon's level. And that's always a tricky thing, isn't it, um, Philip, that when you've got two drivers with different driving styles and you're creating a car, you can't create a car to suit both driving styles. You have to go down one particular avenue. And if Alex Albon's the point scorer, he's going to get the car built and set up for him and Logan's going to have to adjust his driving style and technique. Yeah, but even Alex was not really enjoying driving that car. So it goes back down to getting a more consistent car that is good at different corner types. So you're not struggling on the braking or in, in various corners. So I, I think if they achieve their objective of making a, a car that's more together, then that will automatically help not just Sargent, but also Album just to be more consistent. Like I say, we'll touch on this Logan Sargent topic in just a bit. But first of all, Alex Albon, he's now entering his fifth season in Formula One. Um, and that's not including his time as a test driver and, you know, in, in the Red Bull family. And we managed to catch up with him, or I think you managed to catch up with him, in fact, didn't you, Philip, earlier on, and hear his expectations on the season and the car and its driving characteristics. The 46, the approach that we took was looking at our weaknesses from last year and realising that without a big change, we're not going to, to fix them. So a lot of work and effort got put into changing... Um, or focusing on to the FW46 very early on. In terms of driving, I th actually think it's going to be quite difficult to, to adapt. I feel like what I learned over two years driving the 44 and 45 doesn't carry across to most racing cars. And it was very easy to make mistakes in the 44 and 45. Um, whereas the 46 should be a a much more forgiving car. On paper, the 46 should be much more of a complete racing car. So what you saw last year were these peaks coming in. When we look back and we understood why the reasons were, why we were quick, it did make sense. Um, but at the, in the moment, it didn't. So let's see, maybe maybe our peaks aren't as peaky, um, but there are tracks, for example, like Monaco or um, Barcelona, which have always been very tough tracks for us. and. They're the, the ones where, you know, last year was more about we've got six races in the year that we, we can score points in. Hopefully it will be 24. Well, Phil, you heard firsthand from Alex what his hopes were, his aspirations were for this season. Can you maybe elaborate on what he was saying about his hopes for the car, the performance and, and how it's going to help him in different scenarios, what it means to both the drivers? Well, I think, um, again, as we said before, it's about having a better car across different circuits and there is you know there is no um let's say fairy tale going on at williams that they will suddenly be much more competitive but i think alex also realizes that this is a long-term project and we can speak about this contract later because that's a different topic altogether but i think this year again if if he can score points more regularly at various different venues different corners then i think that will I give him a lot of confidence in the team that it is on the right track, as James Fowles is trying to put it, and that it's a good team to be for the long term. And Hayden, with the fact that Mercedes and Williams are so uh, tightly tied, you know, with a new engine partnership that's going to last until at least 2030, and this new seat maybe being open up for Mercedes for 2025, we know there's going to be a seat available in 2025. Is this something that you think maybe Albon is, is eyeing up? Uh, realistically for next season? 
this is no disrespect to Williams, of course, but if I was Alex Albon, I certainly would be eyeing up both both guys definitely. Um, yes, it's a curious uh, situation, obviously, with Hamilton off to try from from twenty five and gives Mercedes. Sure, it's going to be one of the most hot, uh, hot tested seats available, with probably the exception of the second Red Bull seat, uh, depending on Perez's future for for the entire season. They, you would say, Mercedes don't need to rush into a decision um, necessarily because like their options will largely remain as they are between now and the end of the season. Um, Albon is obviously one of the candidates that's been talked about. Obviously, the Williams connection makes a lot of sense. Mercedes' last two uh, driver recruitments have both come from from Williams. Valtteri Bottas, obviously, as the very, very late Nico Rosberg uh, replacement, uh, which was probably a bigger headache, or must have felt it at the time for Toto Wolff, uh, trying to replace the world champion. Uh, and, of course, George Russell, who did his uh, year's uh, apprenticeship, you could say, at Williams, uh, and then got, obviously, promoted to, to Mercedes. Um, so there's logic to it, and... and you can see why people have made the comparison and you can equally see why Williams are sort of going, no, 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 he's our driver confirmed at least until the end of 2025. But I, I would also ha- say that so was Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes until he activated his release course. So there's, 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 I'm sure there's plenty of things that can be done uh, to to loosen that. And maybe this is Williams' tactics. Like, if you're going to come for Albon, you, you need to sweeten the deal quite a bit um, because he, he is the driver they put, invested in uh, very in the last sort of 12, 18 months. And, and he was their, he's their lead driver. Uh, they knew that Russell was was going to Mercedes and they put a plan in place to say, right, we need another driver with a few years experience, trying a few cars, and now is making the time to step up and be the lead driver. If Williams were to lose early driver, much like Mercedes losing, losing Hamilton, they need to find a, a ready-made replacement. That, that cannot be Logan Sargent, or at least on the evidence we have right now, uh, that won't be Logan Sargent. Now, of course, you, we go down to a uh, hypothetical of he leaves, who joins, and that, that conversation will probably never end. Um, but it, it's it's feasible. You would say that Alvin should be looking at that Mercedes C, and if he does sort of perform above and beyond a little bit like he did at parts of last season, that states his case for Mercedes even stronger. But uh, it's in his hands, but I wouldn't say it's a, <laughs> anywhere sorted yet. There's a long way to go. Philip, on that one, how good a fit do you think Albon would be at a team like Mercedes? I think it would be a very good fit because he's clearly just learned so much from being promoted to Red Bull, arguably a little bit bit too early, just failing there, having to rebuild himself, take a year out and and go to Williams. And we've seen now he's really, you know, at the peak of his powers, uh, just dragging that team single-handedly to seven. And not only that, but he's a very intelligent guy, very calm. He's got a lot more experience now. We've seen Mercedes in the past. They're not too keen on rookies. They've had George Russell at Williams for three seasons to, you know, to, to really mature as a driver and as a person. And Albon seems like a good fit on that front. He's, he's ticking all the boxes. You know, James Fowles has been quick to say, hey, hey, he's been signed up until 2025 because it wasn't entirely clear what his situation was. Um, but then if you ask Album, you know, does that mean you'll definitely stay until 2025? He says, well, time will tell. Let's see. So it doesn't seem as, as watertight as as you may be, you know, as you may, might think. It was, as Hayden said, the same with Lewis. We thought he was locked in and it wasn't. So 
with Mercedes and Williams being very friendly, maybe there's a deal to be done. Um, certainly, when Vals was asked this question, does that mean like you would stand in his way? He said, well, would I stand in his way? I'm just going to think about the long-term future of the team, not the short-term. And it's not about one individual. It's about the whole team. So that, that sort of leaves the door ajar, in my opinion. And often when you see a driver go through some very, very low lows, they suddenly become a much more rounded driver, don't they? And they can deal with the ups and downs a little bit better, Hayden. Definitely. You would certainly say all the experience that album's got, highs and lows, as you just said, um, puts him in good stead for, for potentially what would come to join Mercedes. And we know he's got a good personal relationship with George Russell. So in terms of a teammate dynamic, that on paper, <laughs> on the face of it, looks looks great i'm sure as a like in terms of a marketing thing also is uh, a bit of a dream um but i guess it's that question of putting him back in a top team and he's had the chance to shine at red bull and it, it just didn't work out uh, unfortunately for for him um has he sort of learned it got that experience to to do it again and, and sign out it's not often that drivers would uh in so let's say in albums um position get two opportunities at a top team like that i, I mean i'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head in terms of recent times that say hasn't flourished on the first attempt so yeah it will be fascinating to sort of see basically what he does over the first few races first half of the season uh, and how much his name is uh, constantly in the conversation when it comes to replacing Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes. I mean here we are we've just been discussing pretty much Albon to Mercedes like it's a done deal like you know it's definitely happening but just finally on this one here um if it were to happen would Albon I'll come to you on this one uh, Philip if Albon were to go to Mercedes would he be happy with being a Bottas or a Perez to George Russell or would he want to be that number one driver well I, I think it's different because he's not slotting in alongside Lewis he's slotting in alongside George who's his like he just said is a good friend of his they race together in the Formula 2 and growing up together in karting and then what have you. So I think they very much see each other as peers, as equals. Of course, George has, wouldn't have a leg up as being at Mercedes for a long time. But I, I, I don't think there would be a clear number one if that were to happen. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move the conversation back a bit to Logan Sargent. As we said, he's no longer a rookie. He's entering his second season in Formula One. He got that solitary point at Austin, Texas last year. And here he is reflecting on his rookie season and what that does to impact this season. I think the biggest thing I've learned is, well, it's nice to have a year under my belt. I know everything that I'm, you know, what what to expect, um, everything that's going to be coming at me. So that's already a huge huge benefit compared to last year. Uh, By the same time, I also learned... You really have to maintain yourself and manage yourself over the course of a season, which um, I probably didn't completely understand going into last season, and um, something I definitely want to, you know, be better at better at this year. Um, that goes for for many things, from trying to keep yourself physically in good condition, um, mentally fresh, um, emotionally fresh as well. So, just a, a lot of things that I feel like I can manage better um, to to keep performing consistently better throughout the year. Well, Phil, you heard from Logan earlier on, and we have kind of touched on this already a little bit, but what are your thoughts? What are the sense you get from him about what he is going to do in 2024, what he's going to do and what he hopes to do in 2024 that are going to help push this team forward? Yeah, I guess we've mentioned the physical transformation, if you like. Um, I just think Franz Doss always said a driver needs three years to adapt to F1 to become a proper driver. And I think 
Logan's learned the hard way of how demanding F1 is, not in terms of underestimating it, but in terms of just, just you know, it all sort of happened to him across the season, and it was really hard to find the time and space to not only to bounce back from that, but just to just to stay in one piece mentally and physically. He's he's now got that experience of having been everywhere, having been through such a grueling calendar that I think he can focus a bit more about. Um, focus a bit more on his driving rather than just having it all happen to him. You can be a bit more on the front foot, I think. And well, hopefully for him, the car will be a bit more benign, will be easier to handle, and that should help him as well. But I think having received his second chance at Williams, I think will will do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of making him at ease and just making sure we can really just focus on getting the most out of himself now. Okay, well, it'd be interesting to see what happens this season. Looking through the slightly wider lens than Hayden, I mean, we look at Williams last year. They finished seventh overall in the Constructors, 28 points. That's their best result since 2017. Can we realistically expect them to push themselves further up the grid this year? Or is it going to be something we'll see bubble over maybe in the next years afterwards? It's, it is a huge ask. And given that the rules are largely stable for this year and, and the deficit uh, they had to just alpine above them in sixth place, as Phil mentioned earlier, is it's a massive gap to to bridge. it be interesting to see when they fully reveal their, their new car uh, in Bahrain for the preseason test, what, what sort of changes they've made to make this sort of consistent behaviour and consistent feeling. Um and whether that can put them in the realms of that and if anyone else dropped the ball to, to do it. I, I would say on what we have, the information we have right now, no. So, um, consolidating and sticking sort of seventh place has to be their, I guess, their target overall and hoping that, yeah, with both drivers consistently scoring, they can close that gap to potentially have a sniff of, of higher up. But, but definitely no lower than than seventh would be the the option for them. And then having that, as as you've said with James Vowles, having that long-term project and vision of looking to the rules reset and looking at the opportunities ahead that are, are going to be greater when they come to sort of 2026 time. All right. Well, we see how the season pans out, gents. Before we go, finally, this one word hit miss on the livery that they have given us. Start with you, Phil. Hit or a miss? Maybe you can go a little bit further into why you like it or dislike it, and then we'll we'll wrap this one up. It's a slight improvement on last year, so I'm going to call it a hit. Oh, a tentative hit, Hayden. I... I think it's too similar to last year, so miss for me. It's just there's nothing ex- that exciting that we should seen from before. Well, thanks for that insight, guys. Now we're going to switch gears, though, and head back over the pond to London, where the stakes, nice pun, are high for Matt Q and JBL as the newly rechristened team Stake F1 Team Kick Sauber formerly the Alfa Romeo team, launched their 2024 challenge, the C44 in all the new colours. First of all, JBL, great to see you here. Um, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, obviously, not at the launch. Uh, obviously, Matt, uh, Alex and John all went and Adam Cooper uh, did as well. Um, but someone's got to stay home and write the features and do a bit of work. So <laughs> I've decided to stay at home. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's not been a bad day. And Matt, there you are, enjoying the event itself. What are your impressions of it? All right, thank you. Yeah, I'm in um, I'm in a dungeon at the Guild Hall, which is where Oliver Cromwell used to keep his horses. So, of course, you think perfect place to la- uh, launch an F1 car because the the overlap is considerable. But yeah, it's been an interesting event, and I, um, 
I suppose this year in particular, with everything being online, we should celebrate a physical car launch and uh, rubbing shoulders with Aguero and whiskey sours and all, all the uh, excellent stuff they put on for us today. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting take uh, and a very cool venue. I believe it is also a Harry Potter set as well. I think the room of requirement, I've been watching them recently, but hard to find anything concrete uh, on uh, on Wikipedia to back that up. thought you looked happy. I thought you looked rosy. Uh, Rose, oh, I'm not sure if we can go with Rose. That's an Alfa Romeo colour, implies red. Everything here is green because it's steak. It's hashtag unleash. It's a new chapter with all the old faces and, uh, and, and whatnot. But yes, this is very much a new team. Uh, we've had all the good words like brand, uh, synergies and activation, all of that. So it's definitely, definitely a new team, a new era for uh, Sauber. Although uh, it's steak F1 team and they've acknowledged that in the races where they can't be staked because it's not online gambling firm, they will be kick as well. Uh, so, yes. So, what are your thoughts then of this new identity, this new visual masterpiece from the team? It is quite striking, but, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of green. I don't think the livery is overly successful. It's sort of very like motorsport manager F1 game template uh but you know it's 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 a different color it's bright which is good it's not black uh well it is black it's a lot bare carbon but you should be able to pick it up pick the cars up in the back of shot uh and and the team is upbeat that have gone for an ambitious aggressive step over over next year uh it also seems a bit more truthful i don't know if you remember the salber launch from last year where they look uh they teased a load of renders with this really like aggressive serrated floor edge which is red herring and sort of you know i guess that's a bit of f1 humor but this feels a bit more uh of a, a, a good use of our time uh it feels a bit more feels a bit more legitimate for now but like I say it is a bit confused messaging you know, the fact that they have buried the Salba name, but they still say they're very proud of their history. The fact that state can't be used in every territory, so they've got to have a, a different brand. And uh, the, the team principal, or the team representative, Alessandro Luni Bravi, is great, very eloquent man, but he's a lawyer. So he he's very precise about the way he answers questions. So he sort of refused to acknowledge that the fan backlash was really considerable to this team name, so much so that they had two goes of it. You remember when it appeared, you know, when they first did the Sauber kick launch stake F1 team and then said, oh, no, 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 guys, we've got something else coming on the 1st of January. And, and, and then it was stake F1 team. So, um, yes, uh, it, it's it's a new a new and exciting era, if you like, but I don't think their sort of Sauber proud history should be sort of jet washed off the pavement. And what about you, JBL? Uh, well, I've written today's feature about the launch car because there's been a bit to talk about technical-wise, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit. Um, what it does do is it reminds me a little bit of uh, something that you'd maybe create in... Do you remember Need for Speed Underground 2 on the PS2? Uh, bare carbon car, green flashes, that kind of thing. Uh, it kind of reminds me of something you'd create as a 12-year-old. So it's not my favorite livery, but it's you know it's, it's interesting enough. Um, they've done something different. Um, different to the the Alfa Romeo liveries uh, over the last couple of years. Just getting bored of the bare carbon now. Now, Stake, obviously the first team this season that are doing a proper car launch where we get to see the car. And they've gone a bit wild, and they? A bit Halloween, bit punk sort of vibe. But Stake are certainly taking it seriously, aren't they, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, amazing venue at the Guildhall. We were sort of in the, we've been in the dungeons for like the pre- um, pre-show sort of media duties and then they let all the influencers in upstairs into the into the glitzy bit and they did their proper launch ceremony 
uh, which was which was good. Some cool graphics, some loud music. But then, you know, as as James Key, the technical director, comes on, people's attention starts to sort of wane a little bit. So it's hard to hear what he's saying. But um, yeah, really cool venue. And and like I said at the start, Brent, like any physical launch at the minute should be celebrated. The time with drivers, we should appreciate. So it was it was cool. And obviously, yeah, Stake have got this very clear two year window, haven't they? You know, post Alfa Romeo, pre Audi coming in. So they're throwing some money at it, which yeah, look is like I say, should be celebrated. And a couple of celebrities in, in the crowd, which is always quite cool. Um, you know, tough ass to follow on from Zinedine Zidane being Alpines this year, but Aguero Aguero is still quite cool nonetheless. And JBL, from these images that we've been seeing so far, uh, what are your thoughts on the car? Is there anything in particular that jumps out at you apart from its striking colours? Um, well, I think looking around the kind of side pod area has been moderately interesting because clearly they've kind of stuck with the same downwashing philosophy that they used last year. Um, but there is a clear difference to the overall side pod shape um, that it was shown in with launch renders. And there was a kind of sort of beta version almost on the uh the car shown at the launch it's got this sort of weird kind of underside it looks like kind of like a pelican's gullet almost it's sort of like a weird kind of sort of lump at the bottom um i think because the undercut of those side pods is so uh obvious uh so kind of not i'm not gonna say extreme but it's uh, it's a pretty deep undercut um, what you would probably do is you'd end up sort of opening yourself up to creating a little bit li- of lift in that area, and that's not necessarily something you want. So the overall shape there, just probably negate that a little bit, um, make sure you're not getting any ill effects with airflow and stuff like that. And those side pods have kind of got that underbite uh, to the leading edge to the inlet as well that kind of Red Bull pioneered a little bit as well. So there's some similar threads uh, there overall. I think, you know, everybody's going to kind of go for that kind of shape given that it was so uh, popular that given that the Red Bull concept has been so successful over the last couple of seasons. So there's some similarities there. Um, but I also think there's a few things that they're they're hiding as well. Um, I think the front wing, uh, it looks a little bit underdeveloped. It looks very similar to, to what they had last season. So um, one wonders if there's a little bit of scope to improve there. And weirdly, I was watching the the stream of the the, the launch um, and the rear wing looks suspiciously uh, like the one that was on the, uh, the F122 kind of show car that all the teams got their hands on. So again, I think there's a few things that they're hiding from us. There's a few things that, you know, they've kind of given to us and gone, there you go. Take those, uh, you know, those little hints. But I think there's more to come from, from, from Sauber. They're playing a a fine game of poker, aren't they? Holding their their cards close to their chest and they're moving their chess pieces around a little bit. Now as the drivers and the driver lineup, this is entering its third season. Matt, what are the drivers saying about this car and their expectations for 2024? They're obviously, as you'd expect at a launch event, they're sort of towing the party line, some, some not like rehearsed lines, they're not reading off auto cue, but it is that last year was very much a placeholder while they built up the rest of the team. And now they've gone for a sort of a more ambitious um, uh, car design. The interesting thing, though, is they're saying that rather than like the third year of this rule package allowing even more convergence so you think back to sort of the final few races of last year where 1.6 seconds was covering everyone in q1 they think that because these rule set are not the most inspiring so there is like a performance ceiling uh which people are running into they think actually there might be a bit more divergence so some teams will go actually no 
the lower center of gravity is like an area of untapped potential this year or no it's you know their their pull rod front suspension that's the untapped potential so they think teams will focus in different areas and actually that will bring a bit more of a performance spread which is interesting and and um and the james key was saying that um actually he still doesn't think the cost cap has taken effect so the big teams obviously still you know even though we've had um it's been in since 2021 there still will be like um like a legacy gap which is a horrible turn of phrase but like as in the big teams have been spending for years will still be ahead and that and that's where Bottas and joe are they're sort of upbeat they think they'll be you know two three rows further up on the grid um on a on a good day but you know they're they're setting no expectations and i think both of them privately know that you know uh they're they're fighting for their drives obviously bottas with what's happened with hamilton you know it could be another appealing option for for mercedes but converse his signs is going to be a free agent so someone like joe you know has to has to really perform to sort of secure his f1 future just on that one there are you saying there might be a bizarre scenario where Bottas returns to Mercedes? Um, I think it'd be slight, slightly more far-fetched of the options. You know, um, they'll want to retain a, a blockbuster lineup, uh, but he is a known quantity. Um, you know, lots of he'll he'll know many people there. He'll obviously work well, not rock the boat. It allows Russell to be a clear team leader, and basically, recording this within the seven days that Hamilton is jumped to Ferrari. Stranger things have happened in the past sort of 72 hours, let alone sort of in, in F1 history. So, you know, Bottas is out of contract at the end of the year. He might not be the directionality want to go. There were rumours that when his and Show's contracts were up for discussion at the, halfway through 2023 that he, you know, some people didn't want him to stay. So, yeah, stranger things have happened. So he he could be, uh, he's a plausible solution for Mercedes, but with the greatest respect, perhaps not the most inspiring, purely because he is a known quantity. He's not as good as Lewis Hamilton was, and he himself admits that. Well, during the 2023 season, there were some key changes to the team. Andreas Seidel was brought in as the CEO and James Key, as you were saying, the technical director. What are they saying their goals and expectations are for this season, Matt? It is just about building up the team, really. You know, Audi's arrival is what everything is focused on. And, you know, both people have been in F1, so they're not going to they're not going to be sort of fall into the trap of going, yeah, next year we can win titles. They know it's a rebuilding process and, you know, with with less sexy things like CapEx, they know that they they've got, you know, a threshold to invest in the team and build up the infrastructure, some of which which we know at the Swiss site has has fallen behind. Um, but they they talk a good game, and you know both are respected figures. It's going to be really interesting to see actually where they slot in because Seidel with what he did with the Porsche 919 project, and then McLaren was very quickly rated as one of the shrewdest operators in in Formula One. But he's left. You've got Andrea Stella coming, who's sort of taken McLaren in an even better step, and uh, and then you've also got James Key, who I'm just going to check over my shoulder before I say this, but. Um, he obviously, you know, uh, arrived at McLaren with a really long lead time from when he was signed from Toro Rosso, but moved to McLaren with a fair reputation, not the greatest. McLaren did the recovery, the rebuild. They started climbing up positions, but then they obviously hit a plateau. Ricardo and Norris were both complaining of a chassis with sort of fundamental handling problems. 
And then when Stella took the reins, he was he was the first person out the door. So his reputation needs a little bit of rebuilding as well. Well, as you say, they're definitely going to be looking for some form of improvement, aren't they, over the, the next few months. Now, in 2026, the team becomes Audi by name. And that means this next year or, or so, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be looking for this laying of foundations for the future or is it going to be short-term goals, JBL? I think certainly foundation laying because if you look at the next two years, they feel very sort of transitional, don't they? Um, the Alfa Romeo kind of era is gone. Um, we're now in this weird sort of hinterland of stake F1 team, kick Sauber, cramming as many sponsor names as they can in to kind of pay the bills a little bit. And then Audi will come online in 2026. And that's the thing that people are excited about. I think people are maybe a little bit sceptical about it, given, you know, Audi's track record in signing up to things and then bailing. Um, but I think people are kind of excited about it all the same. So it's going to be really, really important to ensure that Audi is starting to invest, put the foundations in place uh, at Hinville, because I think although they have been historically very, very good uh, facilities, it, the infrastructure might need a little bit of work. So making sure that the team is operating as a full factory team, that the team is on the level of investment that, let's say, a Mercedes or a Red Bull is able to put into its facilities, um, that's going to be the really important thing because Audi isn't going to want to come into Formula One and make up the numbers. It's going to go there to win. Um, and having the best people, having the best infrastructure, and having the best drivers in place, that's the only way it can do that. It, it can't necessarily chase success right now but it has to put the foundations in place to to deliver success later well we teased earlier on didn't we about Bottas maybe going back to Mercedes just picture that world there what about Carlos Sainz then are we likely to see him jumping into the seat in 2025 ahead of this changeover in 2026 JBL I think it's one of his most likely options to be honest because when the team does eventually become Audi. It's going to want a top line driver, and who's really available for for for, for twenty twenty six and beyond? That you know they might have a look at uh, somebody like I don't know George Russell, who will be uh, available. But I think he's very much a Mercedes man, and I think of the kind of options that are out, out there, um, what better way than to get somebody that's you know won races for for Ferrari, uh, who did a fantastic job at McLaren and was a part of their revival and helped to build the team up when, you know, it was a uh, flat on its back in 2017, 2018 science joined the team 2019, 2020. He was part of that revival. I think he would be a great asset for them. Um, I think the other options that are available, I don't know if Mercedes is particularly likely alongside George Russell. Stranger things have happened. I don't know if that would be the natural fit or natural Avenue for him. Um, and suggestions that he'd been linked with with Aston Martin as well. I don't really know who makes way for for Carlos Sainz. I feel like I get the feeling Alonso would like to stay uh, in case 2025, 2026. That's a potential championship winning car. And Lance Stroll, let's be honest, he isn't going anywhere. So for me, it seems like the likeliest option. And I think Audi would potentially make it worth as well financially to, to join the team. Um I think it would kind of make sense for both parties involved as well. So, yeah, that's that's the way I see it. But, you know, I could be very, very wrong, and I probably am. 
it's just a long way to go, isn't there, before any of these deals are done. But silly season has already started, hasn't it? Um, finally, one word answers. You can expand on it if you want to, but one word answers if you can. Starting with you, Matt. This livery, hit or miss? Hit. Just, and I know you said one word, Bryn, but it, it, it's bold. It's, it's not the best, but it's bold and, it, and it's different. It's something new and fresh, isn't it? You know, it's not a settling into a period of like car manufacturer, red ballie, where it's rinse and repeat. It's something a bit different. So we should celebrate that. Well, that was the most tentative hit I've ever heard. JBL, what do you reckon, hit or miss? Uh, it's a swing and a miss for me. I think I'm just getting, you know, a little bit tired of the bare carbon liveries. It's, it's weird because... A while ago when, you know, let's just say, for example, the Jordan 191 back in the day that was launched as a bare carbon car. I thought, oh, that'd be really cool if that was that was race like that. Um, everybody's doing it now. It's just, you know, it's a car they've not painted with some green bits on it. It's it, it's a no from me. When we shall leave it there. Thanks very much indeed. JBL, thanks a lot for your time and for your expert eye. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I hope I haven't embarrassed myself too much. <laughs> And Matt, thanks very much to you as well. Expelliarmus. I think that's the word. Absolutely. Very good, Bryn. Brilliant. I don't know any other spells to come back with you with, but I'll take that. Well, that's three teams down and seven more to go, including the big guns. Next up on Wednesday, it's the turn of Alpine, who will also look to improve on a so-so 2023. So make sure you check back in with us as we bring you all the F1 launches and more. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.